Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Lyles, kicking things off for us tonight from the new EP, A Sterling Murmuration, that is Zune with Gijig. This is the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Hopefully earlier today you tuned in and heard the programs A Day to Listen, featuring Kaylee Cardinal and William Prince. Uh, all of the show music that I'm going to play tonight is from Indigenous Canadian artists, save for my two guests. Uh, I did talk to Katie Tupper, who is opening for Baja Bulat at the Park Theatre next week, and with Baja Bulat uh, about their most recent EPs and albums, respectively. So we're going to hear from them in a few minutes. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we got another thing from uh, Status Non-Status. So uh, the, to, the members of Status Non-Status and Zoom collectively uh, play as Ombigazi, and uh, we had Daniel Monkman on to talk about Sewn Back Together, and now both of those uh, folks have now released their own stuff in the interim. Uh, so from Shirley Travel, which is out on You've Changed Records, this is What Am I To Do from Status Non-Status. I don't like it anyway. I don't have that much to say. I don't want you hanging around. I don't like it anyway. I don't have that much to say. I don't want you hanging around. And if this is for love, why? Why is my heart Right. Well, for folks who uh, did not get tickets to Harvest Moon, 
We're going to get our chance to see Katie Tupper live on October 6th when she opens for Baja Bulat at the Park Theater. And I'm excited to get the chance to talk to her right now here on the show. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to have you on. Uh, excited to talk about your, your music. Big fan of it and been playing it here on the show uh, since we first got the singles. Now, uh, I mean, this is Neo Soul coming out of Saskatoon. And I know a lot of people are like, wait, this is not necessarily the sound I equate with that, right? You know, it's, uh, I mean, obviously Winnipeg, we have our, our issues with the Saskatchewan and our, our battles with the CFL <laughs> rivalry. But, you know, there's a reason they call it the Banjo Bowl. The expectation is that the uh, the sound coming out of Saskatoon is, is a country sound. How did you kind of find your pathway sonically? Like, I mean, as I understand it, you started with, marching band and jazz band but that doesn't necessarily like lead directly in a line towards your sound now yeah i think um i mean as soon as i started um making music professionally or what when i set out on the path um thinking that music was going to be my career i joined sort of like a larger um like neo soul um r&b collective in saskatoon hmm. um so i think that was like uh, a really good experience where I could look around and be like, okay, people are making this in Saskatoon. But I think even before that, I, I just always gravitated towards that type of music. I think that's what I was listening to growing up and in high school. That's what my friends were listening to. So my family was listening to. Um, and I think like, I never really, not until maybe the last couple of years did I realize that R&B wasn't necessarily coming out of Saskatoon. I just thought I saw other Canadian artists like Daniel Caesar and Charlotte Day Wilson that were making it in Canada. And that was kind of what I, what I um, laid my eyes on necessarily uh, rather than thinking how it's not coming out of Saskatoon. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, you know, once I got a little bit older, um, but I think Saskatoon definitely, like, there is an R&B scene that's coming out of here. Um, it's just a little bit more underground, I think, than other places. Um, so yeah. sonically, like, what what compelled you about this music? Like, growing up, like, like were there records that you heard that you that spoke to you? Or was it, you yeah. know, the I lyrics? I love uh, D'Angelo. Like, I was listening to Voodoo and Black Messiah always. Um, I love Erykah Badu. Um but I think, like, those were kind of, in high school, I really grabbed onto that. And I just think, like, the subtleties of it, like, these, like, tasty horns, these quiet, like, intricate back backing vocals, I just found, like, super, super cool. And just, like, it was kind of the only music that I would listen to, other than maybe, like, rock music, that you could, you get, like, a visceral reaction out of people. They're, like, making this, like, disgusted face from how amazing the music is mm. and I just thought that was like so cool and I felt that reaction when I listened to this music and then it became like kind of the only thing that I wanted to make and and I don't think I'm making like quite as like deep cut neo soul as those tracks but I'm trying to right Does, <laughs> yeah that's the goal is is the like the face the litmus test like if you do a song for someone like you you gauge kind of what their vibe is based on like if they're making that face Definitely. Or at least I gauge myself on it. I'm like, if I'm, you know, we're finishing a song and myself and my producer, if we're not making that face, it still has some work to do. Right. Yeah. So in, in crafting the, the EP that uh, you've got out so far, um, like what kind of like, like lengthy process, like what, how, how long did it take you? And, and kind of like, was it, 
a bunch of songs you had or did you just kind of sit down and say like these are going to be the songs during this time period like did you pull yeah. from the past i think um i i started writing all new songs as of like um would have been like january or february of last year essentially like as soon as i put out this other ep like i'm just kind of writing always but i think that was when i started thinking like okay i'm writing for a new ep um and so i was writing i was writing with um my good friend connor sadell who writes with me and, and produces all my music and so that felt like a lengthy process we were kind of right like doing writing sessions or i would send him stuff he would send me stuff over the course of like i don't know months and months um but then i i headed out to montreal and we recorded everything we kind of had like a rough idea of the five tracks that we wanted and then in the spring of this year um i went to montreal and just kind of like locked it all down and and really um developed out the five songs that i thought were the strongest and that all kind of i think like i really grab onto conceptual albums and i love making conceptual projects but um right now i wasn't necessarily doing that with this project um it was more so like I'm if I'm all if I'm writing these songs in the same couple of months, if I'm writing these songs in the same kind of headspace and everything that's going on, they just kind of all tie together without necessarily trying. Mm. Um, and so I of those many songs we wrote, I sort of picked the five that I think um, like support each other the most and are all kind of like sister songs. And yeah, then we we recorded that and, and got it almost all finished in the spring. And now we're just kind of doing like cross country, um, like final touches and, and mixing and mastering. So it's almost done. So the, the, you said, you know, it's not necessarily conceptually linked, but because it all exists within a short time period, it's, it's stuff that's affected you during that time period or like, yeah, the... definitely. I think I get like tunnel vision on like my inspiration. It, it goes like almost per year. I can tell exactly like what I was going through, what I'm going to write about. And, the songs don't really escape that, I don't think. Do you write kind of like looking backwards, like what you were feeling in certain I, moments, or do you write kind of with an eye towards like what you want to feel or where you want to be? I think it's, I think with my first EP, it was definitely like reflective. I was looking back on all these different relationships and whether they were important or not, just how they made me feel, all these things. But um, for this project that we're about to put out, I think um it was like the first time that i was writing like actively like this happened today i'm th or last week like it was a very very like present um project that was like helping me process sort of what i was going through and and just like different concepts that i was feeling that i that i'm sure a lot of other people are going through um so i think this is the first time that i was writing like very presently the the first EP was released kind of in the midst of like lockdown COVID. I mean, obviously we're not done with COVID, but like things have changed and you've done some live dates and, and some touring. Does that affect like kind of how how you crafted the songs? Like do you do you think about kind of like writing or performing in a in a new way because there is this potential for like being out and performing these songs? Definitely. I think at least the songs that I wrote for this new EP are all like based around new people I met and social situations that I would not have been able to experience during lockdown. Mm. Um, and the, the EP prior was all just reflecting on past stuff because I had no 
like input coming in necessarily. You're in the same spot. Um, and I actually, I spoke with um, a friend of mine that also makes music. Um, it, it was like when lockdown, like we had, you know, all of our vaccines, lockdowns were finally lifting, travel restrictions were coming up and we're like, we need to like see each other and just have some like input. We don't need to be writing. We don't need to go on a, like a writer's trip or anything, but we just need to like have experiences happen around us so that we have like something going into our brains because I can't just like be on Instagram and like sit on my couch and watch TV because I'm not going to write anything. Um, so I think that definitely impacted it. I think though with like playing more live shows, like kind of right now I'm sort of in the middle of, I don't know if it's called the tour, but I have like a show every couple of days and I'm sort of traveling around. I'm so bad at writing music. I can't do it. My brain is like shutting down, but I'm, but this is the input session and I'll just wait. And then once this is done, I'm sure there'll be lots to write about, but um, yeah, it definitely like changes up what I can write about and also just uh, when and how I can write about things. Cause I, I don't really have the time right now, but I know that I'm trying to write every conversation that I have that something like beautiful comes out of it or someone says a saying that's like really interesting. I'm trying to jot it down just so I can remember everything moving forward. Yeah, I was curious during the input phase whether you're like taking notes or thinking, oh, that's a song idea, or if it's it's just like I'm gonna have a bunch of experiences and then later when I reflect on them, they're they're gonna like suggest songs to me. Yeah, no, I definitely I'll like take down little notes. Either what I think if someone says something to me, if we pass by, whatever, I'm taking little notes down all the time because um, I think like main um, experiences will stick out and I'll be able to write songs about it. But I think just like having these little, they almost like turn like exactly into lyrics these little um like phrases and stuff that i'm hearing or saying um it's good for me to write them down because i think i'm like i have tiktok brain i can't remember anything so i need to like give myself a hand 45 seconds and then it's like what was i thinking about back? bad i'm a goldfish yeah uh sonically like this new ep that you're you're you know set to release did you approach things differently like than you did towards the end? Like, did you try to kind of do some new things musically or what was kind of the the ethos there? Yeah, I think um, we're just trying to push it a little bit further into the Neo Soul space. Just always, I, I think like every time you make a project, you're trying to make it cooler than the last one. And I think we really were pushing for like down tempo, cool, almost like indie, neo soul like there are definitely like a few more electronic elements or at least we're playing instruments that sound like they could be electronic elements i'm doing a lot more like vocal production um so a lot more stacks a lot more um background vocals um and i think we just like with the first ep i just wanted to get like as much live beds down just do as much as i could live um and I think it sounded really, really cool. But this time it was like, let's like mess around a little bit. You have some really cool gear that I want to try out. I have gear that we should try out. And I think it was like, just because we had a little bit more time, there's just a lot more opportunity to mess around and just like try to find cool, unique sounds that I wasn't necessarily doing on the first CP. Um, and I just want to make it cool, you know? I just want to say, let's make this cool. When you're, when you're doing stacks and stuff like that, are you giving a thought to like, oh, this is a studio album, so I don't have to really think about like how I'm going to translate that to stage? Like, because you mentioned Voodoo, and like that record has yeah. so much going on that can't really 
Like, yes. D'Angelo's an amazing musician, but he can't replicate, like, himself singing over totally. himself, over himself on stage. Yes. Um, no, I don't think about that. And now that I'm playing live shows, I wish I did because I'm like, <laughs> okay, we have 19 instruments that need to be played right now. And I have either one other person accompanying me or four people, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I don't really think about that. I think, like, when if people are listening to this, I want it just to be, like, the most produced like multi-stacked i want there to be one sound that you don't even notice but it's very integral it's in the back of you know your head um and then the i've just been playing it like i think as long as you're writing like a good song um it it translates to live fairly easy you have the beat you have the main melody and whether i have like the string parts or the horn parts or anything Let's just play it like low key live. I think that's what we've, we've been trying to do, but it's tricky. And I was playing, I've played a couple of the songs a few times and they sound so corny because I don't know how to like get these strings to sound right. But I think we've nailed it down finally. It's just like, just play it as if it was written more chill. Sure. Did you take any lessons from the experience of making towards the end that you applied to the the new EP? Like, were there things that you hadn't necessarily known going into that first EP that you now know and you were ready for? Um, I think I, um, like, spoke up for myself a lot more. I'm very lucky and blessed to be surrounded by a lot of really wonderful people in the studio. And my co-producer, Connor, is like, the best person in the world but even in like such a safe space I wasn't necessarily like speaking up for some of my ideas um, and there would be things that after I'd be like oh, I wish we recorded I wish this was played like this and so I think for this project I just like you're not gonna hurt anyone's feelings no one cares you're literally this is the only job we have is to make this project how all of us agree and want to and so I think I was just like more free with throwing my ideas out and like sort of taking up a little bit more space um, in the studio. And whether those ideas like stuck, I think just being able to like exhaust all of your ideas and know that, okay, this final project is like, we've tried everything and this is absolutely the best of what it can be. Um, so I think I, I, I spoke up a little bit more. Um, and I think in the writing process too, I just was a little less, um, I was like, What's the saying? I was fine killing my babies. That's something they say. Kill your darlings, yeah. Yeah, killing your darlings. I think I was fine with that. I would write a song that I thought was incredible, and then the next day it wasn't stuck in my head, and I was fine just, like, throwing it off. So I think these songs are the ones that, like, I'm actually saying something. They have, like, strong melodies, that sort of thing. Sure. Now, at the show on the 6th, like, are you focused on the on the stuff everyone's heard already or are you playing some of the new stuff what's the kind of set yeah we're gonna play i mean that's the beauty of only having six songs out in the world and filling 40 minutes um i'm gonna play uh almost i I think most of the first ep and uh, the single honey that i just that i kind of recently put out Mm -hmm. and then yeah i'm i'm playing most of the tracks on the new ep actually Awesome. But it's a, I'm just playing, it'll be myself. And then I have um, a really great keys player from Winnipeg is from Winnipeg is playing with me. So it'll be a very low key acoustic strip back version. Well, it's fitting because the Bajabula tour, it's like a reconfiguration of her own songs too. So 
Yeah, 100%. Uh, before I let you go, Katie, I want to get you to pick a track of your discography that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think uh, Live Inside is like my favorite song that I've made. I think it's the closest to like the type of sound I'm trying to make. Um, and I wrote it in the middle of the pandemic, um, just realizing like how intertwined my partner and I had become. I'm wearing his clothes. He's saying phrases, phrases that I've started saying. And somehow it's like not in a gross, um, toxic way. It's just like this beautiful um, conglomerate of two people. And yeah, it's a song that I'm, it, it's what I want my music to sound like. So I think that's a choice. Perfect. Well, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, October 6th at the Park Theater, opening for Baja Balat. So remember to show up on time and catch yeah. Katie Topper. Thanks very much for your time, Katie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Can I lay in your clothes tonight? Cause I'm tired of mine Think they're tired of me Can I lay in your eyes tonight? Just keep them closed So I stay behind I don't think you know Just how good it felt to take golden heads off your golden head I think I must be in your mind all day now Now that I, now that I, now that I live inside
Right before the break, you heard Katie Tupper with Live Inside, my favorite track off Towards the End, her great EP. Uh, she's opening for Baju Bulat October 6th at the Park Theatre, so make sure you show up on time to catch Tupper play. Uh, coming up, I'm going to have Baju Bulat on, but before we get to that brand new from Evan Redsky, this is the title track to his forthcoming album, Oblivion, and my thanks to Kilby for getting it to me uh, a little ahead of time. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. There's a thunder rolling in On the shores of my mind I want to stay in But I step into the night I've been there before And I'll be there again Chasing the night
All right. Well, her latest album is a bit of a retrospective. The Garden finds Baj Bulat re-exploring some of her earlier works. She brings it to the Park Theater next week, and we're happy to have her joining us by phone to talk about it. How, how's it going, Baja? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, I'm very curious about kind of the decision-making that went into a project like this. Like, Had you been thinking about looking back at your own material, or was this kind of a like stasis position that COVID forced you into or what happened? Well, it's kind of always been a dream. Some of these string arrangements I've had um, for a decade. (laughs) So I've always wanted to record them because the magic of a live performance with an orchestra or symphony or quartet is that it's ephemeral. It exists in that moment. Um, But, you know, sometimes it'd be really nice to record, (laughs) have that recorded just because it is such a special interpretation and special arrangement of what you know my little folk songs were and are so when i when the world was kind of going into a massive shutdown in march 2020 i was actually on tour with the string quartet Mm. um so that kind of prompted this oh we were really having a great time let's see you know when it's safe enough to actually record again see if we can make that happen because obviously uh Safety-wise, restrictions-wise, everything, orchestra, symphony, that's too many people. But Mm -hmm. a quartet is kind of perfect. Um, And I really like how a quartet is kind of an older older version or maybe the original version of of a rock band or a chamber ensemble. (laughs) So they go together quite well. Yeah, no doubt. So you were already doing it before, before lockdown. Was it just like on tour and you hadn't thought about recording it or...? It's definitely a dream always to record it, but just in terms of finding the time, um, not only in the time like to get into a studio, but finding the right moment uh, in terms of you know spiritually when to do it. Um, it just kind of happened. Just the timing kind of spoke for itself. <laughs> so the songs that you were playing with that quartet prior, prior to lockdown, like was that newer material, or had you already reworked? some of the older material some, some some was older some was newer and then i ended up having more arranged for the garden album because basically the idea was okay we'll record like a ton of stuff and see what what fits well together because you don't know until you go in what's going to work what's not going to work mm-hmm. and then we ended up loving so much of it we just needed to put it out as a as a double lp so the arrangers so you got owen pallet paul frith and zuzu rubidoux um yeah. What led you to each of them? Like, was there, like, did you give them directions as to kind of what you were looking for? Or did you say, like, pick from the catalog and come back to me? Like, how did you kind of go about that? Oh, well, the songs that I chose were songs, and I have other arrangements of songs that I didn't end up um, even recording um, because I wanted to pick songs just in the spirit of everything that we were going through at the time. Um, globally, everything I was going through at the time. Um, in my personal life, because I was expecting my first baby. Um, and and it was such an uncertain time. So I wanted to pick things that weren't necessarily looking back, but kind of honoring the fact that a lot of these songs surprised me over the years and how much they became more relevant to me as time went on or changed their meaning and evolved into something deeper or completely different. Um, so that was what, how I chose the songs that I wanted to record and that I wanted to put on the record. Um, and the, the kind of the cool part about the three arrangers is that Owen 
did arrangements for me um, for these songs, it was probably the ones that are most furthest back. Um, and he's the, the person I actually toured Canada with first. I My first tour across Canada was opening for Owen. So I really learned the ropes um, by watching him and watching how he did it. And, you know, all the basics, like showing up on time for sound check, um, finishing your sound check on time, you know, all that stuff. Um, and he really showed me how to be a headliner um, as well, like with Grace, how do you treat your openers? You know, so that was really something I, I, I remember, you know, from my first tour in 2007 opening for him, which is, which is crazy to say. <laughs> um, and then Paul Ferris is an arranger that I, and a musician I perform with a lot. He's from the UK um, and he had toured with me and performed with me in England. And so, yeah, he was one of the last people I saw um, right before the world shut down. I was in London um, and Sweden, and we were yeah, in London before we flew home. Um, so it was kind of wild. Um, but he, anybody who had seen me in Europe will remember him from my shows because he's in my touring band, and he's a brilliant um, arranger and musician. And Zuzu Robidu is a cellist that I performed with and who played on Are You In Love? And she's kind of the newest collaborator I have in my world. And so I wanted to kind of have, like, past, present, future, mm. kind of all full circle. Sure. Yeah. So, so then, I mean, obviously Owen had done some arrangements. Like, in terms of picking who did what, like, did you give it to to each of them to choose stuff, or did you kind of direct? Like, I think this would work best with you at the helm. You know, it was a lot simpler than that. It wasn't. Okay. I didn't want to control too much. So even in the spirit of a garden, you 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 kind of plant seeds. <laughs> you have an idea, and you see which ones are going to grow and which ones are going to respond to the conditions that you have. So I said, here's the songs I would like, you know, um, you know, I'd said, Paul, I'd love for you to do love is at the end of the world. I'd love for you to do infamous. Um, and I think a lot of times when, especially in that moment and same with Zuzu doing already forgiven or are you in love? Yeah. You just kind of, I was just kind of excited to see what they would come up with. There wasn't like a ton of, back and forth it was just a very fun exercise mm. the spirit of it was not too overthought it was really not um i'm not a control freak in in music and i'm not in gardening either <laughs> so. <laughs> so did you have the con concept of a garden like as a as the title but b as kind of this notion uh before you know the recording process like did well, you yeah, treat the, it as a garden so the garden that arrangement owen had done for a performance i did at the polaris music prize and i'd always wanted to record it because it is so wonderful that he transcribed um this kind of incredibly challenging crazy weird time signature synthesizer part that i played on the album and then he was able to transcribe it for quartet um so I'd always wanted to record that. And then, you know, I'd spent a lot of time since, you know, March 2020 until when we were recording it at the end of the year in my garden. And it kind of reconnected me to a lot of myself that I felt like I'd lost a little bit, you know, just being really present in the moment. I wasn't able to visit with my mom and grandmother for most of the time that I was pregnant. Mm. Um, actually, all of the time I was pregnant, <laughs> um, just for, you know, lockdown restrictions, border closures. Um, all sorts of reasons. So it was a way to stay connected to them as well. Um, you know, calling them on FaceTime, showing them what was growing, because I have plants from them in my garden in Montreal. Um, I have plants from my mom and that my grandmother has cared for for decades. So um, it just 
kind of felt like the natural kind of, you know, my instinct, my intuition told me that that's what it should be. That's what it should be. Sure. You mentioned yeah. that, you know, looking back over your songs, some of your appreciation for them or your feelings toward them changed over time. Some of your earlier songs, giving them away and then hearing them come back to you. What kind of discoveries did you make about the songs through that process? Well, it's interesting. There's the arrangements on one side of it, and then there's also singing it for the purpose of recording, however many years after. Mm. And in some cases, um, not too long after. So two two examples that were really interesting and very meaningful was a song like Love is at the End of the World, which I had put out on um, my album Are You in Love that was released March of 2020. <laughs> I think March 27th. So it was released in a very uncertain time and I didn't know, you know, at the time I couldn't have known how much singing those words, you know, at the, a year later, almost a year later, maybe nine months later in the fall, um, with so many changes having happened, seeing so much love, you know, and what, in a time that felt like the end of the world, um, just to be able to have the privilege to revisit that song in a different way, so quickly after I, you know, sometimes the time is short, but the experience happens in this kind of, it feels infinite. It feels uh, gigantic. Um, and, you know, the other, the other song that I think about instantly is singing, I was a daughter, which was a song I wrote. One of the first songs I ever wrote um, when I was still in university. And it, it's an ode to, youth and like kind of a, a memory song trying to maintain or carry certain memories of being young of being a kid um of being a teenager and naivete that then singing those same lyrics while i'm about to have my own daughter felt very powerful and i realized okay i was actually maybe more clued in to something deeper than i had realized at that time so the the you that wrote it from a youthful perspective then was thinking about like your own child with their you know potential youth and, and well it's it's funny it's like there's a bob dylan lyric from you know his early years i was so much older than i'm younger than that now you know sometimes you do you know you, mm. do, you don't give yourself enough credit for whatever depth um your own experiences even when you're young can carry and you can carry that with you did you have any that you really wanted to include but just didn't work? Like, was there any song that just, you, on on the face of it, you thought would would be a, a great one to to rework, but then it just it wasn't hitting. Not really. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. No. no, I think the thing is is that um, I wanted to because I think for them to have worked, um, I needed them to feel. Uh, I needed to identify with it now, okay. Um, spiritually, just in terms of the singing. But I'm sure if someone else wanted to sing um, a quartet arrangement of any song that didn't didn't get recorded for the album, it would probably be awesome. But that's my personal opinion. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's subjective. Well, it sounds like you had like a certainty about kind of what you wanted, so you didn't have to abandon anything mid-process. Honestly, making this album was such a sanctuary for everything that was going on in the world. It was such a scary time in Montreal. Like, we were in lockdown. We couldn't go outside after 7 p.m. There was a curfew. Um, being pregnant in that kind of energy was really scary. And so just, 
being able to make this record, I I think I was also able to free myself from a lot of um, you know, the harsh criticism or self um, I don't know uh, self censorship that maybe would come in in my past when making an album. You know, you wouldn't overthink it too much because just the joy of being able to be in um, you know a still fairly um, isolated conditions <laughs> with four for, with four people. Um, and, but still feeling like you're playing, to, you are playing together, you know, even if you're not always in the same room, you know, I had my little booth, everybody had their own little booth, but just that feeling of playing and being present in the moment together, just getting that back again, you just don't overthink it. The impulse for self-censorship in the past that you're alluding to there, did you kind of push through that as a result of, you know, kind of pandemic brain and like kind of like realizing kind of how how vital every moment is that like maybe you shouldn't doubt yourself in in experience yeah there's probably it's probably a little bit of both it's probably the fact that yeah because you know you i wasn't able to at least for myself for several months many months perform you know or just even sing um with other people around and and play with other people at the same time besides virtually um just the gratitude of having that just makes you not, I don't know, it's just, you're just in the moment, you just can't help it. Um, but also at the same time, um, the experience of having made enough records and having done it enough times just gives you the confidence. I think it's kind of natural when you're starting out to have all sorts of doubts, all sorts of questions, and then eventually, uh, just by the virtue of having done it enough and the experience, you it's, it's not good to never have any questions, mm-hmm. but you just don't, I think, you realize how much of that can be a waste of time if you let yourself get bogged down in it. You really need to, you just get better at getting out of your own way. Right. You mentioned, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's that like not overthinking it or I, especially cause during COVID when you're kind of like stuck in, in stasis, some like a lot of people did kind of like overthink things, right? Like that might be a natural impulse to just kind of get really bogged down in your own interior I'm definitely over would overthink lots of other stuff. Okay. Just when I'm doing music. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd like just music found itself. a way no, through no, it that I some of us didn't. I wasn't living in a carefree, uh, perfectly zen time. No, it was a very stressful time. It was extremely, excruciatingly lonely and stressful. And so to be in the studio, that was the safe space where I wasn't going to do that to myself. Right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier learning from Owen about, you know, how to, how to treat the opener, the, the, the relationship to the opener. Uh, I spoke to Katie Tupper, who's your opener, mm-hmm. uh, for, for this show. Um, how did you land on including Katie on this stretch of dates? Oh, I found her music through the Internet, and she's wonderful. That's been the magic of this, this era, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many of us are singing to our cell phones, but there is actually... So much beauty and so much great music being made, and I'm just so thrilled. I'm excited to meet her. And I'm excited to do this tour, do the West Coast dates with her, and to hear her play every night. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's definitely something I discovered on the internet that I just fell in love with too. So uh, yeah, hopefully, I encourage people to show up early for this show to to catch her. Yes, as well please. As um, before we go, Baja, I want to get you to pick a track off the garden we can play for listeners. If you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Oh, that's fun. Okay. Let me think here. You know what? Let's do Love is at the End of the World because it is such a fun arrangement. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a song that, as I was saying in the interview, um, I had written and recorded and really, it came out in March of 2020. And 
at the time I had that song was written about, uh, you know, my own inner world, my own inner end of the world, you know, that um, a lot of my own friends and family were helping me through. And for it to come out in a time that really did feel, you know, for most people, like a, like the end of a world, um, it's, it's a very hopeful song. Um, so there was something about that that felt um, like a bit of cosmic timing. And then to be able to revisit it felt like such a privilege to be able to do that so soon after um, because what I had thought, what I what I had been surprised by, but also thought might come to pass, is those words really did come true for me. Um, being pregnant in a time where I couldn't see my own family, um, where everybody was very, very, it's a very stressful environment. But the people that came through for me, you know, in terms of like the nurses, the doctors, the friends, that the chosen family, um, they really stepped in. There was just, I'm like emotional when I think about how many people showed up for me and for you know my husband and our little girl um so singing that in the studio that coming to pass at that time mm. and then now being able to perform it live with the bands like we just did this past week on tour um the evolution of that is it's it's very uh, it's a whirlwind and it's it's just cool that it keeps surprising me every time it sounds like the, the, where the end of the world is changes, but the the love is the constant thing. So, well, yeah, and 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 that's the thing too. It's like it, the the world has to change. <laughs> it has to keep changing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, October sixth at the Park Theater, Baj Bulat coming to town. Thanks very much for your time, and looking forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for making time for me. Don't wait for a fortune. Don't wait for the fall I've been there before I know where you've gone Where you keep on running Where you fall apart Diamonds in the dust Sing it to the dark I'm at the end of the world Another end of the world Love is at the end of the world Love is at the end of the world You fall apart when you fall into it Love is at the end of the world In every song when you sing back to it Love is at the end of the world I fall apart when you fall into me Find me at the end of the world From your future, see it from the start. Casting this all for you, glitter in the yard. You could keep on running, you could start a war. Diamonds in the dust, sing it to
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, we heard Love Is At The End Of The World from her album, The Garden That Was Baja Bulat's Pick. My thanks to her and to Katie Tupper, both of whom will be playing at the Park Theatre on October 6th. Strongly encourage you to check that show out. Uh, I'm going to play some more music for you as we cap things off and hand things over to After 8 Radio. Up next, from his 2021 album, When The Magic Hits, Adrian Sutherland uh, has just debuted a new video uh, just yesterday that was produced by a group of students in Ontario uh, as a response to what they learned last year during the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And uh, so the song Walk With Me, uh, we're going to play the song and I'll link to the video in the show notes for this episode. And uh, we've got some more great Indigenous music to cap off this edition of Thank God It's Free Range here on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, including something from Inuit throat singers Pilksilk, who are going to be playing October 22nd at the West End Cultural Center. Uh, for more information on that, you can go to UMFM's event calendar. I encourage you to uh, seek out the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation's resources if you want to learn more about this day and about efforts that you can make. And uh, I Appreciate you listening. We'll be back here next Friday. Walk with me If I follow your steps Will I see Why did you go Let's trade skins Show me all the places you have been Just let me know I'll be fine Don't you know I've waited all this time To know Moses
Let's run! 
We ran bare feet in the dandelion field While we laughed at the birds and the jumping of deer We laid on our backs as the clouds disappeared In all of those moments we forgot about fear We didn't care about the evil that was near The wind was fresh and the skies were clear Our bodies filled up with everlasting cheer The wind was fresh and the skies were clear
Michozani. Vola Kota. Vola Kota.